are in the middle of this series called Victory in Jesus. We kicked it off uh, at Easter. The theme verse for this series comes from the, that passage in Romans I ended with last week. This is Romans 8.37, that overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. Right? This is a word that we don't use that often, especially overwhelming. We talked all about this last week. You have to go back and watch. But uh, we do use it. We don't use it all that often to talk about our faith, but we do use it just to talk about our life and things that overwhelm us. And I, th- I told you last week, there's really no better word to describe the past 12 months, right? Overwhelming. Like that's, that's a best way to describe it, but it could just be you. It could just be your life, your circumstances, stuff that's going on with you, that sometimes we can feel overwhelmed by the world, by, by stuff going on in, in us, uh, by our enemy, we can be overwhelmed, but, but we actually believe the word of God and we believe it's true and it says there is an overwhelming victory in Jesus. And last week we talked specifically about the overwhelming hope we have and the overwhelming grace and forgiveness and unmerited favor, the overwhelming love that's given to us through Christ. Through the context of that verse, I think I, sh- I shared a portion of it. I shared the whole thing, but I'll share a portion with you today again. The question that prompted it is that can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Like, can, is there something that can really, you know, definitively cause damage, can separate us from the love of Christ? And it says, does he mean it no longer loves us when we're in trouble? Or in calamity, or calamity, or persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, and threatened with death. And that the answer to in the world is that yes, you know, if you're going through those things, there's something wrong with your faith. If you're having anything that overwhelms you like this, that there's something wrong with your religion and your God. But Paul is very clear in the midst of all of this to say no, despite these things, despite all these things that overwhelm us, there is an overwhelming victory. And ours through Christ who loves us. And there's so, the, so there's this tension. We talked, we kind of introduced it last week. This tension that prompted the question that people asked me last Sunday and is what we're going to be talking about over the next two weeks, right? Which is why? Why do I struggle to see it, to feel it, to experience it, this overwhelming victory in my daily life, right? I want to believe, like we can read, I could show up at your house every morning and read Romans 8 to you about the love of God and nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God and go out and experience victory today in Jesus. And I might get you hyped up for a minute. I'm pretty good at that. I can hype you up. But then there becomes this question that, yeah, but I just didn't, I don't know if I'm seeing it. I'm seeing a lot of other things that overwhelm me. I don't know if I'm feeling it. I'm feeling a whole lot of other things in this world. And inside of me, I don't know if I'm experiencing what you would call victory in my faith. And uh, so today I wanted to, as we start to, to walk through this question, that's going to be the next uh, couple of weeks is walking through uh, this question. I wanted to take you to the story, if you will, of the of this title of our series actually comes from a hymn as well uh, that was written in 1939. And for those of you that have this, I put one about every other seat for you to see it. Uh, this is what you would call, now I couldn't get like 18... Uh, old hymnals in here. They would smell the place up anyway. They always smelled of mildew and, and things like that, you know. But 
Um, this, is a, this is a church, kind of the front of a church hymnal. For everybody that's younger than me, just go ahead and let you know, this is what your grandparents and your parents and your great-grandparents called praise and worship. That's what this is, okay? It was, uh, had about 300, 400, you know, pages in there in a hymnal. It was usually in the back of the seat, you know? And uh, this church hymnal had numbers, and so there were no projectors back then. There were no, you know, there was no, nothing overhead. You just came in and you saw this little thing on the box on the side of your church, told you which hymn numbers you were going to be singing today and how bad the offering was the week before, all right? So that's, that's what it was, okay? And that was worship, praise and worship time, all right? But in 1939, E.M. Bartlett, E.M. Bartlett actually pen the words to a song called Victory in Jesus. Debbie's going to play a little bit for me just to give you the feels, you know, going back to your old church, to your grandma's church. And this is what you would see. You would say, you know, 69, it's Victory in Jesus. And I wanted to give you a quick history, if you will, about this song. So Ian Bartlett actually wrote the words of the song in 1939, about 82 years ago. He wrote the words of the song after... He'd, he was a speaker and a singer, and he wrote lots of songs for Southern gospel music and some hymns that, that, that kind of made it around even till, till today. But he actually experienced a, a, a stroke that left him partially paralyzed. So he had a very difficult time moving around. His career, so to speak, was ended. He couldn't do speaking engagements anymore. He couldn't you know, continue his ministry. He couldn't barely speak. And in the reflection of what was going on in his life, he actually penned the words to this hymn, Victory in Jesus, right? Now, you just, you, you remember it maybe as a kid, you know, there was that falsetto woman in your church, oh, victory, you know, singing it out, right? But I want you to, I want you to pay attention, if you, if you have it, to verse 2. I'll read it out loud for you in case you can't see it online. And I want you to think about the significance of these words. I heard about, the, about his healing of his cleansing power revealing, how he made the lame to walk again and the cause the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Now, if you think about that, you think, well, surely he was talking about healing because of his physical affirmance, because of what he had experienced because of the stuff that overwhelms him. But you see that his words were, I heard about these amazing, this amazing healing you brought to people physically. And he says, but I cried out, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. Why? Because it's the things around us that overwhelm us that often break our spirits. They often stump our faith. They often make us, again, struggle. Struggle with why we don't feel victorious. In our walk with Christ. Would you guys thank Debbie for playing that this morning? I, I appreciate that. Thank you, Debbie. I threw that on her last minute. She's such a champ. And, you know, that's so, so here's what I want to do. I'm going to walk you scripturally through some, some, some letters that Paul wrote the church about how, how he began to help the Christians in the early church, because this is not brand new, the fact that you struggle at all, it's not brand new. It's not brand new to even uh, Ian Bartlett. It's not brand new to the church, to the people of God. But I want you to see how he begins to talk and to lay down some really clear foundations that will help us work through the struggle 
to be able to see and experience the victory that we have. I love this. This is one of my favorite passages. This is the church in Galatia. He starts it in uh, chapter 5 this way because he's been talking to them about a great deal of things that they've been struggling with as a church. It says, so Christ has truly set you free and set us free. Now make sure that you, read the words, two words out loud. Yeah, make sure you stay free, right? Christ has done this thing to bring you freedom. Now I want to make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again into slavery to the law. I'll explain what he means by that in a minute. Go to verse seven. He says, you were running the race so well. You know, you started off strong. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God. Why? Because he's the one who called you to freedom. The struggle is not God's fault, even though sometimes we want to pin it on him. Go to verse uh, 9. It says, this false teaching, talking specifically about the legalism they were experiencing, is like a little yeast that spreads its way through the whole batch of dough. So there were two major problems in the church of Galatia. It was legalism and syncretism. Okay? Legalism is sort of overemphasis on the rules and moral, uh, uh, moral behavior and behavior modification and things like that in terms of a religious practice. Uh, but syncretism is where they, take, they were taking basically all these sort of different religions and they were taking little bits and pieces of it and putting them into a big stew <laughs> and mixing it up and calling it Christianity. Right? They were still calling it Christianity because they were primarily wanting to follow Jesus, but they were still grabbing a little bit of this angel worship, and they were still grabbing a little bit of this pagan worship and, and elements to, to their beliefs. And that's a problem because for us, I'll, I'll walk you through this again quickly because this is just foundation for where we're going over the next two weeks. But you've heard me talk about this before. In our culture, we don't struggle as, we struggle with legalism a little bit, but it's getting less and less and less about that in our culture. Secretism, yes, for sure. But the reason is this. This is what I call the decision matrix. What we believe oftentimes informs the decisions we make, how we decide, which then informs and determines sometimes the outcome that we experience. Now, for most of us, again, for most of us, we, you know, we have things that happen outside of our control that, 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 that deal with our outcomes, but for the most part, in the things we can control or the way in which we can respond, we do, our decisions do have something to do with the outcomes in our life. And because our culture is so outcome-focused, so outcome-driven, the teaching that begins to spread through our culture into your faith is that if you just make different decisions, if you just make different decisions, you can change the outcome, Right? If you just decide something different, you can change the outcome. This is what we believe, right? You want a better body? Do these three things, right? And it's yours. You want more followers on your Instagram, right? Adopt this program. Watch the hearts flood in. Do it. Take your pictures with this filter. It'll be change everything. You want a better marriage? You want to bring the spark back? Try these 10 things. Try this life hack. It's, it's constantly the idea that we'll go back and make a different decision so that we can see a different outcome. And when that didn't work, we'll go back and change again the decision we make to see a different outcome. But we don't ever really experience lasting change because we don't actually go back and change what we believe. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next two weeks, is how do we change what we believe? And this creeps into our spiritual life, just like that legalism and syncretism was doing in the church in Galatia. You want more blessings of God on your life? Then you need to stop doing these three things, right? Maybe you need to give more money. 
Maybe you need to have more faith. Maybe you're not committed enough. Maybe you're not serving enough. There's some denominations that are like, you got to learn to speak in tongues. you got to learn to do these things in order to kind of get the fullness of the second baptism or the fullness of the Spirit of God. There's so many ways in which this creeps into this religion, this Christianity. And if we're not careful, listen, if we're not careful, we don't have a good foundation of the truth of the Word of God, we can fall for those things. And they can, they can sink into our relationship with Jesus, and they continue to leave us more defeated in our faith than actually living victoriously. So that's where we're going today. Towards the end of that chapter, when he talked about Christ setting you free, and he wants you to stay free, right? You were doing so well. What caused this problem? This teaching, this thing they were falling for, can just taint everything. It's like a little bit of yeast that gets in there and ruins the whole loaf. He goes on to say this. I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Okay, they were worried about the rules. They were worried about this, this you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's. And, and Paul's saying, look, I want you to understand this is going to be a lot about the Spirit guiding your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. He goes on to say the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. It says these two forces are what? Say the words out loud. Paul says there are two forces constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. You're just not, you're not free to carry that out. In the midst of all of this, he's trying to help you understand that there's really a lot going on. And one of the foundational principles you need to understand about your faith is that God is not the only one speaking into your life. I wish it was just that simple. I wish it was. It's not. There are now two forces at work, at play, at war in you. He goes on to talk about this as the old man and the new man, the old nature, the sinful nature, the spirit, Jesus in you, the new man. This is the, this is the contrast you're going to find in a lot of Paul's writings, right? It's the battle within. And so first and foremost, this is a big part of us understanding. Why do we struggle? Well, we struggle because there is a battle. There is a battle. Like, 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 I want to be as cheesy as the next Christian that's just, you know, victory in Jesus, guys. It's all we need is some positive optimism and belief and faith. But I've, I don't know about you, but I'm a little battle-worn from the battles in my own life for me to lie to you. So I don't believe I'm not a Christian. I believe I am close to God. But it is only in that constantly striving to get close to God that helps me understand how real the battle actually is in my life. How real I counsel with people and meet with people and how real the battle is in other people's lives. Okay. This is sometimes depicted as like a little angel that pops up and a little devil. And they always look like you, you know what I'm talking about? Right. That's the cartoon version of it. Guys, it's a lot nastier than that. I'm just telling you, it's a lot nastier than that. It is a two forces that are always warring always fighting. They want the opposite of what the other one wants. 
So this is where Paul says, you, you know what? Can't really trust your like authentic voice or, you know, I can't even think of the other words that people are using today, but like, you know, the true you, you know, you got to find that you that's authentic and you, no, you don't. That's a horrible you, okay? Don't fall for any of that. Why? Because there's more than just this one authentic you. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, there are two factions in you warring. You have to get that. If you don't start there, everything else is going to be legalism and syncretism. It's all going to be just kind of pulling in this idea, well, karma sounds right. Let's just bring karma into my faith to try to figure that out. Oh, this, maybe I just want a different outcome. So if I just change the way I'm doing something and modify my behavior, I can solve that problem and I'll feel differently. That's not how it works. You got to start with where the word of God starts, which is, guess what? Paul says, you can't trust this authentic you, this true voice, this thing inside you. You can't trust that good intention that you think is going to drive your life because there is a warring factions in you. Here's some other ways he talks about it. This is in, in the church in Rome. When you were controlled by your old nature, right? this is the, the old man, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused those evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. It says, but now, and he's trying to draw a contrast, that at one time, this is what you were controlled by. But now you have been released from the law. For we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, but not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit, living in that new man. These two things that are kind of at war with each other, one does not remove the other. And guys, again, you know, rainbows and unicorns, I would love for all those things to be just part of our faith and life and no issues anymore. Come to Jesus. You'll never lust again. You'll never struggle with addiction again. You'll never get angry again. You'll never be driven by fear again. Wouldn't that be amazing? Right? Yeah. Sign me up for victory, please. Right? Wouldn't that be great? That's not what's happening. However, Paul to say, listen, at one time you were controlled. This is the only option you had was your sinful nature, your old man. But now, you've been released, right? You've been freed. There's lots of other places that we're going to read today talking about this freedom that we've been set free from sin and death and the law. To walk in the new man, to walk in Christ. The first thing you have to understand, because many people struggle with this in their faith, is that, well, I just don't understand why I'm still thinking that way. And we're going to talk a lot next week about the battle of your mind. That's a whole sermon all by itself. I'm not sure why I still, you know, reacted that way. I'm not sure still why my behavior is this way. I'm not sure, you know, why I continue to revert back to that old habit. I'm not sure why that depression continues to get me. I'm not sure why that fear continues to kind of creep in beneath the surface and, and change the way I would make a decision normally. I'm not sure why I can't seem, every time I seem to think I've gotten, I've made a different decision so I can change my outcome, every time I think I've gotten rid of those things, the, the things that make me anxious... 
the things that cause that depression, every time I think I have victory, it just shows right back up. What's up with that? And Paul says, no, that's, that's part of this. There's a, there's a release from you having to be controlled by that. And there's an opportunity now for you to have victory. But it's this idea of one time you were controlled by this, and now you are now opportunity to live in the Spirit. But it does not stop the battle. Now, I'm going to read this portion, this next portion. Um, I read some of it to you last week from the NLT, but I want to I read this next portion from uh, the paraphrase from Eugene Peterson called The Message. Now, you know we don't read this as a translation because it's not a translation. It's a, it's a paraphrase. Eugene Peterson was a pastor, and he took the original language and sort of paraphrased it out. And I, don't, I usually read it only when it's for me, when I'm usually backpacking or, or camping or doing something like that, like when I'm away. I love reading The Message. It's just a great devotional tool for me. But this in Romans is one of my favorites. So I want to read it to you, okay? These are Eugene Peterson's words as he paraphrases this portion of Romans 7. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely, we can't agree with this at all. We can't even relate to this, right? Absolutely despise those things. He says, if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. This is Paul saying, there's a reason we still have the law. There's a reason we still have instructions and ideals from God. But I need something more, more than just that. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best interests, I obviously need help. Keep going. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions, meaning the actions that he wants. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. I just love these words. <laughs> It happens so regularly that it's, what's that word? Say it out loud. Oh, isn't that funny? This happens so often that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin's there, ready to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly rebels, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Because this is Paul bringing them to this conclusion. And he goes, but the answer is the thank God is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Listen, guys, I hope that that paraphrase, those words encourage you. Because when Paul gets to the end and says, you know, who can save me from this? I'm a wretched man. Who can save me from this life of sin and death? And he says, thank God it's Jesus Christ. I love those words where it says, yeah, Jesus Christ, he can do it and he does do it. Meaning that he's not only able, but he's constantly doing it in our lives if we let him. 
That's part of what this is. The old man is driven by self, and the new man is completely driven by Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's trying to say. When it comes to me, like when I say me, Paul's like, I'm talking about the me that fails, the me that struggles, the me that battles, because it's all about me. And then I'm talking about this Christ, this Jesus Christ, as he goes into chapters 8 and says, this is where the victory is found. This is where this overwhelming victory comes from because it's Christ who does it in me. It's Christ who's my now, my new nature. And this is the, this is the reason that I don't want you to get lost in sort of this decision outcome loop. You know, change my decisions, get a different outcome. Change my decisions, get a different outcome. I'm not saying that doesn't work to have small, quick wins or, you know, little changes. It's just not lasting. When I have my, when it's all about me and it's my old nature driving the boat, so to speak, and driving the ship, then I make decisions that will always reflect it, right? I have to lie to cover my guilt and shame. I have to cheat to get ahead. I, have to, I, I get angry when I'm provoked. I, I have to preserve and protect things when I feel fear rise up. Right? I have to blame others for the dysfunction that I have or, or for the uh, lack of self-control that I have. I have to get offended and react and lash out when I'm nervous or afraid that I've been discovered. But when I'm trusting in Jesus, when I'm, when I'm living out in that part of what he said, living in the Spirit, I'm living in connection to choosing Jesus to be the life I want to live, then my decisions can then reflect that. See, I don't need to lie to cover any shame because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I don't have to cheat and all that to get ahead because God is my provision and my provider. I don't need to cheat and steal. I don't need to control my, you know, I can control my anger. I'm not driven by my anger. I can have empathy and love for others. I can give grace to those who offend me. I can have courage when fear rises up, Jesus is the new nature. This is why Paul was so clear. It wasn't a, what's a, you know, I'm so lost in all of this. What's the correct religious formula to get me out of it? That was not his words. His words were, who can save me from this life of sin and death? Oh, what a wretched man I am. And he says, thank God, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to living into that new nature doesn't remove the battle. It doesn't change the, 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 the tension. It doesn't change what we said last week, the things that will overwhelm you. But yet you can choose to live and make decisions and decide and, and live out this victory that we've been given. Here's again his words to the church in Rome. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your body, your mortal bodies, so that you obey its evil desires, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Just remember those words. Do not offer any part of you to sin. Then he goes on to say, but rather uh, offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to, brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Okay, I had to read this because this is something that that I know I've struggled with in the past, and I want to make sure everybody hears it really clearly because we have a tendency to find loopholes in Scripture. 
that Paul's pretty clear that you cannot compartmentalize your life in terms of what you've surrendered to Jesus and what you want to live out on your own and, and expect to experience victory in him, okay? Because there's a part, listen, there's just a part of that sort of decide outcome, Western culture that we kind of, we, we believe, we say the right words, we believe in Jesus for our eternal salvation, but we, we really don't want him to rule our finances, right? Like our financial life doesn't need to be a part of this, right? I've surrendered my, my heart to Jesus, but I kind of want to live out my sexual desires on my own. I really need forgiveness of sins, especially the ones that I want to kind of keep doing, so we have this compartmentalization where we've surrendered or we begin to try to live in the victory that Jesus has given us, but you know as well as I do, if you've compartmentalized parts of your life, that you don't want him to interfere with you. I like being this way. I like that. I want to have control of that. And you wonder why you experience defeat after <laughs> time and time again, especially in those areas because you are only giving part of yourself to him and you're offering a part of you to your old nature, to your sinful desires. And Paul's like, no, you need to offer all of it to him. All of it to him to experience this victory. He goes on to say this in Romans 8. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. This is Paul again speaking into this freedom. You are no longer slaves to sin. We sang that last week, right? We are no longer slaves to fear. We are no longer slaves to addiction. We are no longer, so that's not the only option on the table anymore. We are no longer obligated to listen to that voice, to go that direction, to make that choice. If you live by what it dictates, you will die. Death is the only result of sin. Not, we're not talking about just death in your life and death physically. Every time you sin, it brings death to you. That's what sin does. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. This is where we can draw the line. That when we live out of and operate out of the old man, our sinful man, we experience defeat. That's just what it is. You know, regardless of whether we experience small changes or, or quick wins, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, we're going to experience defeat. But if we live out of that new man, that Jesus in us, that nature, we experience that victory. But it is always going to be a battle. Victory is never going to be the removal. Hear this clearly. Never always going to, I should say always. Let me just have that caveat because I can't say it blanket-wise. It's not going to always be the removal. Matter of fact, most of the time it's not. The removal of the thing that feels defeat, like that causes that defeat or that makes you go down the path of your old nature. Very rarely does he completely remove it from your life. But that's not what, it, that's not what you need to worry about in order to claim the victory. 
in order to experience victory in Jesus, overwhelming victory. Victory, guys, victory is not the illness or the diagnosis going away. You know, you've heard people say this in a, in a trite way that it's not really about in terms of even people who walk through cancer. You know, it's not the cancer that'll, it's not, it's not the issue of you being killed by cancer. It's the issue of whether cancer is going to kill you, right? It's an issue of whether or not it's going to have victory over you. And I think you've met some people who've walked the path of cancer and walked some really struggling uh, illnesses and things like that who never let it get the victory in their life. Never. Because it's all about this desire of what are you going to live out of? This old man, this old nature that's all about you. Or Jesus, this victory in Jesus. It's not about removing the anger, but filling you with love and filling you with the able to, ability to control your anger. Well, it, the worst thing about this is when people feel like they're stuck or they just feel like they have no choice. You know, that's what the enemy wants you to believe. Well, you're always like that. You've always had a short, a short fuse. You've always had a temper. You've always, you know, had a lustful, uh, you know, thoughts. You've always had this going on. You always choose this way. You, you've always been, you've always had a, a vice that you can't get rid of. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. And yet we're here sitting there saying that, no, there is a war inside of you and I get it. It's not going to maybe remove the vice from your life, but it is going to have, you do have this power within you that raised Christ from the dead that gives you the ability to have victory over it. So it might not remove the addiction, but you can still experience victory over it. It may not remove the illness. It may not remove the fear. It may not remove the anger. It may not remove the, the things that cause the depression and the anxiety in your life, but it doesn't mean you still cannot choose to have the victory over it through Jesus, whether it's removed or not. Here, I'm going to close this out with this last passage. When it comes to, again, sort of Paul trying to be as clear as he can. So going back to the church in, in Galatia. Clear as he can about these two natures at war within you. Christ set you free. Don't get, don't, you know, don't get caught in slavery to sin. Stay free. Later on, he goes on to say this, that when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Defeat. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Paul always has to do that because he, he gets on a roll, but he's not trying to make a comprehensive list for us. Again, okay, it's not about the, the cross, the T's, not the I's. Just like he said in, the, in Romans we read a couple weeks ago, we still, we, we still make up ways to sin. Right? We still, we still do it. He says, no, I want to tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, if you just look at those two lists, you're talking about defeat and victory. There is no law against these things, you know? There's, there's no law against this. This is what's produced in you. 
Those who belong to Christ, Jesus Christ, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature, their old man, to the cross and crucified them there. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. This is going back again to when he said, let the Spirit guide your lives. Don't get caught again in this loop of, of just trying to make decisions based on the outcome you want to see. You're going to experience defeat far more often than, than, you, than you should as a follower of Jesus. You're doing your best. But the reality is, is that you're still relying on your strength. You're still relying on the self that drives you, the good intentions that motivate you in making better decisions to try to have better outcomes. And Paul's like, look, there's this war inside you. And no longer are you tied or slave to your sinful nature. No, you now have the power of Christ in you. You now have a choice, right? You now have a choice. When you think there's no choice, wrong. You've already lost scripture. You now have a choice to choose to live out of the Spirit, to choose to walk in step with the Spirit. And when you're at the end of your rope, as Paul said, or as we read the paraphrase, when you're at the end of the rope, you say, gosh, is there any rescue at all? Oh, thank God. It's Jesus Christ. Because he can and he does. Bottom line today, just to help us walk towards this again next week, we're going to be talking about the battlefield in your mind. It's powerful. We've we got to be able to have a, the way to, to do battle there. But when it comes to our decisions and our behaviors and what causes those things, I want you to remember these these things, guys, that it's a battle experienced every day, okay? That goes back to Galatians when we read that in 16 and 17, okay? There are, there's a, there are two forces at war within you. I've talked to my parents about this. They're 81 and 82 years old, and guess what they told me? The war is still happening in them. Everybody with me? Okay? Listen, I want, just, just to help clear it up, Okay? There, are, there are actual Christian sects that believe that you shouldn't struggle with sin anymore. That there, there, should, there should be a place and a victory. Sometimes it's a second baptism, some, some, some sort of mystical thing where you'll never, you'll never struggle with sin again. I want you to know I do not see that in Scripture. That is not what Paul, super Christian Paul, wrote in Romans 7. He said no, but there is a choice. There is a choice to live in the Spirit and by the Spirit, and Jesus is the victory. It doesn't always remove the depression. It doesn't remove the anxiety. It doesn't remove cancer for us to have the victory. Maybe we can be like E.M. Bartlett, 82 years later, talking about that song, talking about words that he penned in, his, in, in the last two years of his life. When he penned out those amazing words of victory in Jesus. Somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory for my broken spirit. It's a battle every day. You have to, you got to come grips with that. But, good news, I always like to end with good news, right? It's a war we cannot lose. We cannot lose this war. It's a battle every day. It's a war we cannot lose. Right? Therefore, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And because we have the power, right, 
the power of, of uh, the power of the life-giving spirit that's freed us from the power of sin that leads to death through Jesus Christ. That's Romans 8, 1 and 2. It's a war we cannot lose. I like to say it this way, right? Jesus wins, right? Used to be hashtag love wins until everybody ruined it. No, it's Jesus wins. It's never going to be ruined, right? Hashtag Jesus wins. It's always going to mean Jesus wins, right? I want you to hear this just because it's me. It's your pastor. My depression that I struggled with, uh, the heart issues I had several years ago, um, you know, just... I think last week I told you, Tracy and I talked about the times in our life where we're overwhelmed by life. We're overwhelmed by the struggles and the chaos. This is not something that I'm, I'm teaching or preaching at you. This is something that is a constant thing that I have to deal with every day. I have to face the battle every morning as you do. As to whether today is going to be all about me or is today going to be all about him. And even when I make decisions throughout the day, man, I battle. And sometimes it feels like I'm losing. And sometimes I have more victories than I have defeats. But a lot of times I have a lot more defeats than I have victories. But you know what keeps me going? You know what keeps my faith strong? It's a war I cannot lose. There is already an overwhelming, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus, who loves us. Jesus wins. Let me pray. Father God, today as we just um, begin and begin to wrestle through how we can just all experience and see and feel more victorious in our faith and in our walk with you every day. God, we need to have just clear eyes. We need to see your word and understand the clarity you bring to us that, that there is a war. We can't get rid of that war. The battle is there. Our enemy does not want us to choose you in every moment of every day. As Paul said, it's just there to trip us up every time. And yet, when I think about the question of who can save me from this life of sin and death, thank God it's you, Jesus. You can and you do, and we are overwhelmed this morning with the victory you've given us. I'm praying for everyone here today and watching online and watching later that you would begin to plant the seed of hope in them. That even though there is this victory, and even though it doesn't necessarily you know, remove the things in our life that cause the things that overwhelm us, we always have the choice. We have the choice to live by the Spirit. We have the choice to engage in this new life in you, Jesus so that it doesn't overwhelm us and it doesn't claim the victory on us. But God, we get to claim the victory over sin and death because you claimed the victory over sin and death. And Jesus, we, we know that it's only by your power, it's only by your grace that we have the opportunity to make that choice, to choose you every day. And God, that's our desire. As we continue to work through this, God, as we pray about the battle of our minds, as we work through this, I'm just praying that you would bring opportunities to us, each and every one of us this week, to begin to make those choices, those decisions, and believe that what you say is true. And then, God, for you to produce 
that fruit in our life so that we can begin to experience victory in you. We thank you. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.